Well, hello there. I'm Chris Angel, and my pronouns are they, them. Welcome to Allyship is a Verb, a podcast for people practicing allyship for the LGBTQ community and beyond. Hey, my name is Lena Dershal, and my pronouns are they, them. Lena is a badass illustrator and designer located in Germany. They have been working as a professional freelance illustrator and comic artist since 2014. You probably already follow them or have seen their work, especially if you're following me on Instagram. Their Body Positive series started on Instagram back in August of 2016, and it's still going strong. It's usually an image of a body type we don't see normalized, especially in Hollywood, featuring a message such as, Healthy is an outfit that looks different on everybody. They've got a Patreon, Instagram, and other places you can follow and support their work. I usually have 20 questions for people just in case we need to skip anything or go through answers quickly. Our problem was we didn't have enough time, so expect a part two next year, and maybe we'll get through a few more because we only got through like eight at best. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool because we got to get into some things more deeply that we're really passionate about, and it's just more conversational. So hopefully you'll enjoy this one. You may have noticed, if you've been here for a while, that I am switching things up a bit. Just tiny little changes. So let's dive into our first three self-reflection questions to mull over as you listen to our conversation. Number one, are there any stereotypes I fit? How do I feel about that? Number two, of all the labels and identities I claim, which are most important to me? Why? Number three, what influences how I experience and relate to my gender? And now, our conversation. I love it. And you sound like so cheerful in the second version. Yeah, I noticed that as <laughs> not well. Not that you... <laughs> I was like, oh my god. You like really perked up. <laughs> not, not that the first time was like down or anything. It's just like, it was like, you really brought it. You really sold me. Awesome. Um, <laughs> Oh God, this this is like what the interview is going to be like. Okay. <laughs> you are queer, non-binary, genderqueer, pansexual, bisexual, trans, and polyamorous. What do those identities mean to you? It's weird to hear them all at once. Like, oh my God, that's that's yeah. a lot. <laughs> but wait, there's more. If you call in now, we'll throw in five more side like identities for free. Oh yes. I don't know what I'm talking about. I love I'm just that. Silly I today. love that though. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. I use some of them like interchangeably. As uh, for example, for my gender identity, I say I'm non-binary, and I really resonate with that but i also like the word genderqueer it's a bit more open i don't know it it just has room for growth i i really like non-binary as a concept but also it's in a way it's it's an umbrella term for a lot of things the word itself like the term still uses like a non a no as like the first syllable so i think that's that's a bit negative. Like that's why I like genderqueer a lot. So yeah, I use both of those terms. But I think non-binary is the the one that more people know or use. So that's that's why this is the one that I always use when people ask me for my gender. Yeah, when it comes to my sexuality, I usually say that I'm pansexual, but I don't really mind when people call me bisexual, for example. I think those two terms also go hand in hand. And for some people, those two terms mean different things, but it's it's very, very similar. And I think what I like about pansexual is that you signal to others, like, I like men, women, 
and also non-binary folks, genderqueer folks, like all of the people. Um, and I'm not only limited to, to men or women. That's why I like the term, I, I, because then others know, okay, Lena might be interested in me too. <laughs> <laughs> there's hope. Yeah, yeah, there's hope, guys. <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about bisexuality, most people think it's limited to only men and women, even though that doesn't have to be the case. But that's why I use that term less. Except when I'm like with with cis hetero people who don't know anything, and I'm like, I I'm, I'm not willing to explain pansexuality to you. I'm just I'm just telling them that that I'm bi. <laughs> yeah, I resonate with a, a lot of what you shared because I think I'm um, leading more with just calling myself neuroqueer since I'm late diagnosed for ADHD and autism. Now that I understand those pieces of myself, I now understand my autism in particular and my ADHD, but mostly my autism really informs my gender. When I'm thinking about gender roles, I don't care about being masculine or anything. That's not the point for me. So people are just like, why are you then dressed that way? Why do you have a beard? Why did you have surgeries and hormones and all this stuff? And it's like, I couldn't tell you before other than I was trying to neutralize myself and it's like, well, then why is men or a male, quote unquote, body the default? Then that didn't feel good, right? Mm -hmm. So where neuroqueer comes in is for me, it addresses the fact that I am neurodivergent. I am queer in a million different senses. And that autism, and again, ADHD, but mostly autism heavily influences my decisions. So what I mean by that is mostly sensory stuff. Like I wanted the surgeries because I didn't like the sensory experience of having a period or menstruating. I didn't like the sensory experience of having a larger chest. It's just easier to have a shorter haircut that I can just wash and go and I don't have to like mess with it a lot or I hate the feeling of makeup on my face. Oh my God, you want to make it worse? Glitter bomb me. <laughs> I probably shouldn't tell that to everyone who listens to this, but like I wasn't trying to avoid girls' clothing, it's just that when I looked at clothing, I tended to gravitate more toward like boy clothes or guy clothes, quote unquote, because it was just more comfortable. Mm -hmm. The fabric was more comfortable, is more comfortable. Um, I'm not dealing with stuff that's making me super itchy. The colors are a little bit easier on my eyes, like all of these different things. But again, none of it is about like me trying to be masculine, really. It's just this is more comfortable for me. It requires a lot more explanation. But anyway, I know that there's been a lot of people who have been wondering why I'm using that now. And I guess I felt like this was a good opportunity to address that. So thank you for letting me. <laughs> I love that you're using that term for you. And I think like I've heard it before. And I think more people should hear about it and learn about it. And what it demonstrates for me is that gender is just so much more complicated than we think. And I think a lot of people, especially a lot of cis people think that gender often is linked to sex, but it's in a way it's linked to everything. Like it's linked to our culture and the way we perceive, for example, men and women and what we think they should do and like act like and wear and whatever, it also depends on our culture even if we both are like part of like a western tradition of western culture i think there are already differences between like german masculinity and femininity and american masculinity and femininity so the location in which you grow up or where you grow up already uh, influences your gender and your sexuality in a way can influence your gender as well like a lesbian woman might see her own womanhood differently than a heterosexual woman. Why shouldn't autism or neurodiversity, why shouldn't it also influence your gender? So yeah, I, I, that, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing. I love that. Thanks for holding that space. I, yeah, I've come across a few more terms now. Like there's also neurogender. Mm -hmm. So I guess I could say I'm neuroqueer and neurogender, but honestly, it just feels easier to say neuroqueer. Because again, that queer being such an umbrella for gender, for sexuality, for lifestyle. And 
asterisks there. We'll get to that. But, you know, just for so many things, politically, like all all of it. But you already told me that you love queer because it's a blob Mm -hmm. and there is considerable possibility. I love thinking about queer being a blob. (laughs) But you defined it as one who is not cishet, but can be anything else. Can you share more about that? It holds room or it holds space for, for growth. Queer used to be something different in the past than it is now, and it will be something different in the future. The threat that I'm seeing is that queer is something that is different from a cis-heterosexual society and from cis-heterosexual norms. What I love about it is that it holds space for things that we don't have concepts for yet. There will be new terms uh, in the future and there are new possibilities and queer encompasses all of them. I think what I like about queer is it's inclusive and we as a community, we want inclusivity. So it's perfect (laughs) in a way. Being someone who's known and learned about this community since I was like early in high school. I was preparing to train a bunch of MFT students, so marriage family therapists, um, on LGBTQ 101, all this fun stuff. And I just had this epiphany. I was like, I hate the term transgender. Mm -hmm. But the reason, and I say that as someone who has identified as trans for a long time now, it's less that I hate the word, it's more that I hate the current definition. Mm -hmm. The one that I've seen the most, The one that I hear the most is where we say it's when someone's gender identity doesn't align with the sex assignment at birth. It's just part of the like conflation that happens. And so that's actually why I hate it is because my sex doesn't necessarily have anything to do with my gender. They are two different concepts. Those are two different things. And so here's what happens, right? So like if I say, well... I was a girl and now I'm non-binary. That's not true because I was gaslit into believing I was a girl. And even then I still didn't believe it. And I was held to these like norms and expectations. But like, had I had the language of non-binary, I probably would have chosen that. Oh, same. But I didn't, again, we didn't have that education. The concepts were there, but we didn't have the language for it. Yes. I didn't really, in my mind, transition from a girl to non-binary I've just, I've always been non-binary. And maybe like you said, I'll find new language for it, but that's like where I'm at now. So then here's where I further complicate things because I'm really good at making things complicated. (laughs) If trans, therefore, were changed to, you are changing from one gender to another, Mm -hmm. I just don't fit that because again, I didn't make that change. But if that's the label or that's the definition rather that you're giving to trans, to me a lot more people would be trans. Now, with the caveat that people need to claim that identity, I'm not just going to throw it on people. But for me, that means girl and woman to me are two different genders. Boy and man for me, two different genders. So if someone is in girlhood and then they're in womanhood, to me, they're trans. If we're going off that definition I just said of changing from one gender to another. In a way, they are transitioning. Like, you're not wrong about that, that girl and woman are different. Like. Yeah, genders, if you define it that way, they are transitioning. It's, I think girl and woman is like a transition with Pokemon, where you're <laughs> like, okay, first you're Pikachu and then you're Raichu, and everybody expects you to become Raichu, and people get upset if it's a completely different Pokemon. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, I get where you hesitate with, with uh, the, the term trans or transness or transgender, The definition we have right now makes sense for our social context that we have right now. But if society changes and gets more inclusive, more trans-friendly or queer-friendly, the definition we have right now will fall apart and it won't work anymore. Yeah. Because maybe we will live in a future in which uh, babies don't get an assigned sex or gender at birth, and then the definition doesn't work anymore. So it's it's like a time capsule we're in. And I see the term transgender as a tool. I see it as a tool to connect with people who have similar experiences and 
uh, experience similar discrimination. It's like a tool to fight against oppression. But it also then introduces a new binary. Oh, yeah, totally. Because I have a friend who's been on the podcast twice, Jose, and mm-hmm. she had updated earlier this year, uses she, they pronouns. So they had updated all of us that um, they are a woman and also genderqueer. So then I'm like, so what does that make you, Sis Plus? You know, the new uh, <laughs> subscription service. I, I, oh, I love that. I don't know what's on there, but something fun. Yeah, so then where does that leave my friend? And my friend couldn't even tell you because when we got into it, like it's just something that they're going to have to explore more. Mm-hmm. In a perfect world, and we're not living in that world, but I think in a perfect world, we don't need the term transgender at all anymore. Even if you say you want to medically transition or you want to take hormones or whatever, you would just say, hey, I think I'm that. I think I'm non-binary. I think I'm a man. I think I'm a woman. And people will just believe you and treat you that way. And then you don't have to transition because you just are. Don't even need to define yourself at all. It's something you you need as long as the world isn't just yet. Yeah. <laughs> isn't isn't a fair place yet. Um, what you can see critical about the term transgender is um, when the definition is uh, you you identify with a different gender than the sex you you have been assigned at birth. It also creates this illusion that like sex is natural and like permanent. Sex is also made up. People hate it when when we say that and we need to explain it more, but sex just as gender is like a made up concept by humans because we love to put things into boxes and we also love to put nature into boxes, even though nature doesn't really fit in a box. And sex is a spectrum and it always has been and sex can change. Like we have, like in school we learned that your genitals do tell you what sex you have, but it's actually like five different things in your body. And they have to align in a very specific way to be either male or female. Nature doesn't work that way. So it doesn't always align for people. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if all of those five things align for me. I haven't been tested on all of them. People just assumed because they saw me as a baby and were like, okay, I think. I think that works that way. And I think we need to talk about the fact more that sex is also just just as made up as gender. Doesn't like really mean anything. It doesn't make any sense at all. (laughs) Yes, yes. And the sooner that we can get behind that, then I think we could stop living in these like very rigid boxes like you were talking about. Because another problem for me when we conflate sex and gender is that it perpetuates that harmful narrative that we're born in the wrong body and we have to hate our body and we have to Mm -hmm. want to change it and that's not everyone's experience yes exactly there's also fights within the transgender community about that which is really upsetting it's so sad that we're not allies for each other but we're trying to gatekeep what transgender really is and like those trans medicalists who say you have to have surgery in order to be a true transgender person or transsexual or whatever and it's like first of all you need to have the money and in some countries you're not allowed to like you need the opportunity maybe your body wouldn't be able to survive it maybe you have a chronic illness or whatever so you you can have a surgery and maybe you don't want to have a surgery like this shouldn't be a marker for your transness when it comes to binary transgender people and non-binary transgender people there's also conflict sometimes like oh those non-binary people are ruining uh, everything for us like we we are the good ones we want to fit into a society and we want to pass and now the non-binary people are coming along and messing everything up <laughs> and it's like it's sad that we try to a piece to like cishet people and that we try to make them feel comfortable so they accept us and as soon as someone else is like 
no, I don't want to make them feel comfortable. I, I want to feel comfortable. I want to live out my gender the way I feel good about it. Then the other people are like, what the hell is happening? That's not okay. Yeah. All those internal fighting within the transgender community is, is just hurting us. It's getting us nowhere, to be honest. Yeah. Talking about gatekeeping, I didn't think I'd see that within like the non-binary community. But then someone told me that they've heard and experienced this, that to be non-binary, you have to have no nipples. And I was like, Oof. what? Okay. Again, comes back to... Sometimes people elect not to do it because it does take more time to correct the nipples and everything and have them the right size, whatever. Again, if someone's doing all of that, mm -hmm. sometimes people, yeah, they elect to just have none because they don't want it. They're not attached to those. But like to gatekeep and say like you can't be non-binary if you have nipples, well, then I'm out. I have nipples. <laughs> like I just. That's weird. and really specific. So then you were talking too about like the marker for transness and some of that can be gender affirming surgeries. But then I, I always bump up against, I just hate how easy it is for cisgender people to get surgeries, gender affirming surgeries. Oh yeah. Because they do it all the time, but they're not seeing the double standard there. Totally. Thinking back to what I just shared earlier of my being neuroqueer, if I didn't let surgeons doctors, etc., believe that I was a trans guy, especially at the time that I started my medical transition, which was around 2008, I couldn't say I was genderqueer. I couldn't say I was non-binary. I don't even know that I had the language for non-binary back then, but I definitely did for genderqueer. I let them believe I was a trans guy because I knew that otherwise they weren't advanced enough to help me if I was in that non-binary space. I knew that they would deny me and then they would fight me on it. So now imagine... I'm not saying I'm a trans guy. Maybe I don't even really talk about being non-binary if I'm even explaining it through that sensory lens that I shared with you. Mm -hmm. That's more medical gatekeeping because then they're especially probably not going to let me have access to surgery mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. hormone replacement therapy if they think it's just like a sensory thing. But that's still like a, a medical need for me. Mm -hmm. In Germany, you have to jump through a lot of hoops if you want to get surgery. There isn't anything for non-binary people. So in order for me to get surgery, I would have to pretend to be a trans man. But the thing is, they have rules what comes first. So I think I would have to take hormones first for at least six months before I can have top surgery, which is ridiculous because like, I don't want to take hormones, but I have no other chance or I have to go to another country and get surgery there. But it's really frustrating. And like, that's not the only hoop I have to jump through. Like you have to go see at least two psychiatrists and you have to convince them that you are trans enough, whatever that means. <laughs> they ask really personal intrusive questions, which are so problematic. If they would ask those questions to like, everyone, not just trans people, also cis people, most people would fail. Like cis people answering those questions. Yeah, those laws need to be changed. Um, they are holding so many people back and they're also holding me back. It's, it's really frustrating. Yeah, well, and then you're an artist. You've seen, especially throughout our history, the norms of what's considered beautiful or attractive change wildly so sometimes it's people who have no butt sometimes it's people that have a shelf back there sometimes <laughs> you know like it changes yeah. and it changes for the different genders so like i could imagine then taking it a step further and like the surgeon being like well you know big butts aren't really in right now are you sure you want these implants da, da, da. you know because their bias can come through mm -hmm. i don't know why cis and straight people are fighting this so hard because we're just trying to liberate everyone. I think people look at us and they're just like, you're trying to erase gender and stuff. We're literally just trying to make it more expansive so all of us can live more comfortably in this gray area of we don't have to hold ourselves to these rigid standards. But we're coming off as if we're like these monsters for dare suggesting that idea. Like there's going to be mass chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that reminds me of a story. Um, 
a boyfriend of a friend of mine, he was raised as a traditional boy. Like, boys don't cry, men don't show emotions, blah, 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 all that stuff. He kept to that script, not showing his emotions, like putting on a poker face and a hard shell. Maybe sometimes make jokes about women because that's also very manly. And then heard about feminism and feminist telling him that his way of masculinity is toxic and that men should show emotions or should be able to show emotions and blah, blah, blah. Instead of feeling liberated, he got really angry. He was like, well, I was brought up that way and now you say that way is wrong. I don't know what I can be now. Like, what script can I follow? You don't have to follow a script. You can just be yourself. But he didn't see it that way. Like, he was so insecure about his own gender that he didn't know how to act anymore. And he got very angry about feminism or like against feminism. Why do they want to change things when the script has been working for him? He was holding on to that script so tightly. I think he never experienced how he himself could have been and could have blossomed without that script. We wouldn't need the term transness or transgender if there wasn't a script at all, if like humans could just be themselves. Yeah. We'll be right back after this break. Thank you for listening. And now back to the learning. Adding another layer to this, one way to view queerness is that it throws a wrench in the binaries of our understanding of gender and sexuality. It disrupts cis-heteronormativity and other limiting systems that just don't serve us. I know that you believe it's up to us to create our future, that there's no model we can follow. We have to go along and see what works for us. How have you done that in your own life? That's a very good question. I think I've done that in a lot of different little steps. For most of my life, I've just been in monogamous relationships. I, I don't know when, but at some point in my life, I've heard about the, the term polyamory. And I was really curious. I think there were like two sides in me or like two, two versions of me inside of me who were, one version was like, how can this work? Isn't that impossible? And the other version was like super intrigued and was like, okay, that sounds actually pretty exciting. And it makes a lot of sense. Like when you're single, it's okay to find more than one person attractive. But as soon as you're in a relationship, you're not allowed anymore. Nothing changed about you. It's just a status that changed that the society you live in made up. Like you're in a relationship now, but you're still a person that finds other people attractive or can fall in love or whatever. I realized for myself, I am open to being in a polyamorous relationship. And for the longest time that didn't happen. And that was okay with me. I just knew that I can hold space for that. Now I am in a polyamorous relationship and it works. It's great. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. And that's, for example, something that nobody taught me. And I have to find out myself what works by connecting with other people who are also trying that for themselves. Finding that out for me is liberating for myself, but also talking about it and being open and not hiding the fact that I have more than one partner shows other people that there is a way or that there is something else, that, that there are more options in your life than, than you thought there are. Turns out more people than you know are interested in polyamory. I think part of it is being very open about what you are so others can see you and see that this is also a path that they can take. I know typically we would call that like a role model, but I follow this really amazing account on Instagram called Queerency. At least I think that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> this lovely human named Travers runs it. And I was watching a reel he did 
and he talked about someone being a possibility model. And I was like, oh, I like that a lot. It feels like less pressure than being a role model because I feel like there's this inherent like pedestal. Yeah. And I don't like that hierarchy. It doesn't feel good. Yes. For anyone. Role model sounds like, it sounds like a box again. Like this is the role you can take. You have to follow all of these steps. You have to follow all the steps your role model showed you. But if it's, uh, what was the term? I already forgot. <laughs> possibility model. Yeah, possibility model. That's so good because it shows you a possibility and you can pick and choose what works for you. And you don't have to like follow the same path 100% or fill in that role. You can just take the things that you like. Yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, like I think of it. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, God. This isn't sponsored, but I used to go to Hometown Buffet with my family. It was this chain that you pay a certain fee for everyone. And yeah, you go in and there's all this different kinds of food in there. It just reminds me of, yeah, going to a buffet and you get to choose from what you want and you get to try things and you can try just a little bit of it. And then you can go back for more if you're into it, right? So it's just mm -hmm. the queer buffet. It's basically we are trying to serve the queer buffet and really just need people to get behind that oh yes i love that because you can go and you can still decide that you're a cisgender woman and that you like femininity and that you like it a certain way that you feel is traditional you know i'm not saying don't do that it's just like just recognize there are other possibilities yeah if you have all those possibilities in front of you if you have the buffet in front of you then decide no i want to be a feminine cis woman that's totally okay and that's great but at least you had the possibility to think about what else you could be or what else you could want this is the freedom that we basically want we want everyone to have the freedom to learn who they are learn the right terms and yeah hear others talk about their experiences so you yourself can decide what path you want to take. And that's basically it. Yeah, because I wonder how many more people are fluid in their gender, their sexuality, their expression, but they're afraid because of peer pressure, because society still isn't accepting. I mean, we're a hot mess over here in the States. In some ways, it feels like this queer utopia, this queer buffet utopia situation is like a pipe dream. Because it feels like we're fucking around and finding out and reporting back and just, yeah, trying to enlighten people. That's that's really what I see. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to push it on anyone. Yeah, I wonder about my ancestors. Like, I'm probably not the only one in my family who is or was queer. And I wonder about those people like hundreds of years ago who didn't even have the chance to explore that because they didn't have the language. And all the norms were even more rigid and strict. If they would have been able to live openly, they could have inspired their children or their grandchildren, and that would have made that easier for them as well. We will become those ancestors to others, even if it isn't biological. You can be like a spiritual ancestor to other queers, for example. Yeah, I like to believe that our ancestors are just cheering us on because we're beyond their wildest dreams. Aww. That's how I choose to see it. I can feel empathy for how it must have been for them. And if they even had an opportunity to go into like secret societies where they had some sort of space, they could be themselves, whatever that looked like. It'll be interesting to see what like future generations are dealing with. If our planet still exists because we're ruining it, but that's a different oh story. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh God, let's not talk about the future. That's frustrating. <laughs> it stresses me out. Me too. Yeah. So I was reading your Instagram bio and I noticed that two other identities you shared out were that you're vegan and a feminist. And I'm curious if that was influenced at all by your exploration into queerness or is that something that happened first? I guess I'm curious how that all came to you. What's the timeline? <laughs> <laughs> so I would say I realized what my sexuality is 
first. When I was a teenager, I realized I'm probably bisexual. There was a point where I'm like, I think I only like women. Or do I like women because I think it's cool? And like, this is already gay. Like, <laughs> if you think, ah, yeah, I only like women because, because it's cool to like women. It's cool to be a lesbian. Then you're, no, you're not doing it to be cool. <laughs> Trust me. Probably 10 years later, I, I learned about the term pansexuality. And at first, I didn't get what it meant. The explanation was like, yeah, you can fall in love with people regardless of their gender or like uh, all genders. And I'm like, yeah, but men and women, are there even more genders? Like wh what's going on? I don't understand it. And so there, there was a process there. Let's put it that way. I identified as a bisexual as a teenager. I think I still was pretty sexist myself without realizing it. Well, I never identified with feminine things and norms and being a girl. And I really hate the word woman for myself. Like when people call me a woman, I never felt right. So tomboy was actually something that I resonated most with because I didn't have any other terms. So same. I felt like I was a tomboy, but that also meant for me to like distance myself from other girls or feminine stuff. So I would say things like, I'm not like the other girls or Ugh. I don't like girly girls, blah, blah, all that sexist stuff, awful hashtag canceled. <laughs> I did it too. It's so sad that you feel that way, that you have to, like, in order to be yourself, you think you have to put women and girly girls down and, like, create that hierarchy. It's really sad, but, well, it's part of our sexist society. So yeah. no surprise there, actually. Later, when I started studying, we had one, I studied, like, illustration and photography, and we had one assignment that was about gender inclusive language at first i was like uh, do we need that like in german our language is much more gendered than than english language so we have for example when it comes to jobs you're not a designer you have like a word for a male designer and a female designer that goes with all jobs for example and we have like a word for female student as well and i was like ah i I don't need that. I identify with, like with the male word of student, so we don't need to use both and we don't need gender inclusive language and blah, blah, blah. But while we had this assignment, I was like thinking more and more about it and I was really interested in it. And it started my journey into feminism, basically. <laughs> and I think a year later, I already was at a different point. And I'm now, years later, again, am at a very, very different point from back then. But yeah, that was like my start with feminism. And back then, I still thought that I was female. So I tried to use gendered language for myself to make myself more visible in the language. And now I'm like... I'm at the point where I'm like, damn, I don't know how to refer to myself when it comes, for example, when I tell people I'm an illustrator, do you use the male term or the female term? Because there isn't a non-binary term. And then you're like, hmm. if I use the male term, it's like I'm erasing femininity from our language. But if I use the female term, I'm gendering myself as a woman. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. It's, it's confusing to explain that in another language, but... It's not that easy. So first I was bisexual, then I became a feminist. Later I learned the term pansexuality. And then I became vegan actually. And it doesn't really have to do with anything else, except that back then I was like watching a lot of documentaries and they weren't connected. Like it was just random documentaries. Meat is bad. Like it's bad for our environment, global warming. It's bad when it comes to world hunger and everything. It's bad for the animals themselves. Also, it's, it's not super healthy if you eat it every day. So there were like a lot of things coming together. And I was like, hmm, maybe I should eat less meat. I haven't been a vegetarian before that, but I decided I'm only going to eat meat on the weekend 
And within two weeks, I was vegan, basically. It was very easy for me. So I didn't miss anything. I never was a huge fan of cheese because a lot of people tell me they couldn't go vegan because they would miss cheese. And I'm like, I never liked cheese. So it was easy for me. Mm -hmm. Cheese doesn't like me. So <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Doesn't like me. I have tried some very good vegan cheese, but like the good stuff is so expensive. Yeah. I also realize that a bunch of individuals choosing to be vegan isn't going to solve the problem because it's like a political problem and it's like the industry itself and capitalism and everything. So politicians have to change laws so that we can combat climate change and animal cruelty and all that stuff. I don't think that it will work from the ground up, like people becoming vegan and then everything changes. I think it has to be the other way around. But at the same time, I'm not judging anyone who's still eating meat. Yeah, corporations and celebrities are going to put a bigger dent than we ever could because if they stop having their private planes and they stop polluting our environment, you know, with mass production of things we probably don't need, et cetera. Like, yeah, we can be vegan, but exactly at the end of the day, it really comes back to, and I am explicitly saying celebrities and, and billionaires and, and the corporations, they're all involved in that. Yes. But I, I just had to ask you about that because I just feel like there's like gateway identities that lead you to questioning yourself more. And I feel like being vegan, being a feminist, being queer, I feel like all of those come as like this package that you end up exploring throughout your life. <laughs> like if you're one that you're, you may end up being more, yeah. <laughs> now that you mentioned all that, I feel like a stereotype. The only thing that is missing <laughs> is that I'm not dyeing my hair blue. Or blonde. But I would like to. So at some point I probably will. Yeah, blonde, blue, green, something like that. <laughs> Purple. I want to do purple, like a light purple, like a pastel kind of purple. Ooh. Oh, yeah. And like the upkeep of that. And that's so expensive. I'm a broke queer. So like, that's not, that's not happening. Same. Yeah. I might go gray very soon because my mom, uh, I think when she was 30, she was already gray. I have a little bit more time, but I'm already getting gray hairs everywhere. So I feel like I should start dyeing my hair after I've gone gray and then just have fun with all the colors. And right now I should just be happy with the hair color I have, like with my natural one, because it will go away at some point and I might miss it. So yeah, I'm keeping it for now. I don't know if there's like a gender neutral version of Silver Fox, but that's what I aspire to be. Mm -hmm. Anderson Cooper or something, if I could just look like that. But I'm definitely going gray now. I'm actually excited. Like you said, if it's a way to more cheaply dye my hair and stuff, I'm in. <laughs> like, <laughs> but also, I just, yeah. I think I'm going to rock it. So, yeah. Gosh. I love that. Well, speaking of stereotypes, like any group, artists have stereotypes. Are there any that apply to you as an artist? I mean, a lot of artists are queer, so <laughs> that's already a stereotype. I think the point is a lot of artists are openly queer, uh, but I think uh, they're openly queer because it's okay within uh, this field uh, to be queer. It's accepted, while in other fields, it's just not okay to be queer openly. So, of course, you see a lot of queer artists because they can express themselves freely without having to fear for their jobs. Your Instagram has changed dramatically since you first started posting in October of 2013. Do you remember what your first post was off the top of your head? I know what it is, but do you remember? Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. 2013. Oh, God, no, that's so long ago. Was it a picture of my desk? <laughs> Yes. It, okay. I like it cracked me up. Okay. Because your first post, I think it was October 2nd, 2013. Oh my God. The first one was, yeah, your messy desk. That's what you said. I don't really know what I'm looking at because there was just so much art stuff everywhere. Because it was it so like, messy. <laughs> it seemed like, well, it seemed like organized chaos to me. Thank you. But to you, it was messy. 
So literally the next day, October 3rd, you posted a picture of everything more tidied up. And I just, I don't know, I don't know why that got me, but I love that those were your first two posts. It just brought me so much joy. I can't even explain to you, but you know, we've been on a whole journey here, but I really want to make sure to highlight, you know, and talk about your art because I mean, first off, I'm obsessed with it in the healthiest way possible because- Yeah, I love what you're doing. I love your messaging. I love the spotlights that you put on different communities, like the intersex community or talking about things like body positivity. And so I'm curious about what, because you were on a podcast, your first one ever, the Body Story podcast. You talked about how one way you explored art was through seasons. You would work on a project for like a season, like three months, and then see if you still wanted to like pursue that. And so you know, you've been changing things up. So I'm curious about what we might see from you in 2023 and anything else you want us to know about your art. Uh, some weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I started a new body positive series, especially for trans people. And I'm including like trans men, trans women, non-binary people and agender people in there. Behind the scenes, I've been working with several peoples of different identities and um, like talking to them, what's important for them, like what messages they want to hear or want to share with the world. And also like what I have to be mindful about so I don't make any mistakes. And I have a long, 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 long list of positive messages I want to put out. And when I finished the list and looked at it, I was like, damn, I'm going to be doing this at least the next two years, <laughs> maybe <laughs> even longer. So, so much to talking about seasons. Uh, it's not seasons anymore. It's like years now. <laughs> and that actually echoes what you were talking about in that podcast episode, because you were saying that you could just go on forever. Like at first you were worried you wouldn't have enough content. Like, well, hasn't everything already been said, et cetera? What could I possibly bring to this space? But it makes my heart happy to hear that you are not lacking in the inspiration department, that there's going (laughs) to be a lot of great (laughs) art that we'll be seeing from you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's awesome. What's one allyship tip you'd like for everyone listening to consider? Prepare yourself to stand up for others when they are not around. Because this is like the most important part when we are not here to like speak for ourselves, to fight for ourselves. When you're in a room with people who think we are like the in-group and we can talk shit about others, that's the moment where you have to step in and say, well, actually, that's not cool because of this and this and this. And the thing is, I know it's hard. Like I've been in a situation or like in several situations where I'm like, okay, I need to say something now. This is going to be awkward, but I have to. And my tip would be that maybe if you, if you think you won't be able to do that, like if you think that you won't find the right words in that situation, then you can practice it beforehand by, for example, role-playing with a friend like role play situations, think about what you're going to say. And then when the time comes, do it. Stand up for people when they're not around. This is the most important thing. I told y'all we get into it. I'm curious what you think about what we've shared. Here's the final three self-reflection questions. Number four, if I'm trans, What's my definition of trans? How do I think it'll change in the future? Number five, do I think that girl, boy, and man, woman are two separate genders? Number six, what's something I still want to explore specific to gender or sexuality? I can't express enough how excited I am to have Lena coming back for a part two. It also felt good to talk more about being neuroqueer, how I've been experiencing it, and giving my thoughts on what trans means to me and why it's feeling crunchy lately. It's possible that for those of you who are trans, you may disagree with me, or maybe something resonated for you. I absolutely encourage you to reach out because this is something I'm still 
working through, and I don't have all the answers. But it's nice to feel comfortable enough to have these conversations with other people and just, yeah, explore what's possible. I really do agree with Lena that trans is going to change and maybe there's going to be a new term or maybe it's more of a societal change where, like they said, we can just claim who we are and not have to really get into it because people will have access to the information and there will be more resources and it'll be more normalized and taught in schools and all of that fun stuff. And just like with all of my guests, I really appreciate their allyship tips because it's interesting to hear the why they chose that tip and how they can differ even slightly from person to person. And again, recognizing that not everyone's going to feel honored or seen or validated by all of these tips, but rather it's an opportunity to have another tool to explore with people and find what feels good. Oh gosh, now I'm like quoting yoga with Adrian. <laughs> Shout out to anyone else who loves her videos on YouTube. All that to say, part of what I appreciate about this tip is that it's something I really appreciate. I know that when I've worked in more formal nine to five situations that when I've overheard people that they didn't know I was around, correcting other people on my pronouns or what's appropriate or not to ask me and things like that, it's felt really good because they had no way of knowing that I was standing there and I wasn't trying to eavesdrop, but rather maybe I walked into a conversation or something like that. And I have to say, yeah, it feels it feels really good. So just wanted to give a, a plus one to that. Anywho, now I'm just sort of rambling. So I want to quickly let y'all know really, really exciting news I've launched Allyship as a Verb merch, and what's great is even if someone doesn't listen, they can still rock it if it's a message that they can get behind, so I'm going to have the link in the episode notes and on the episode page, so please do check it out, and all of the proceeds from that go toward helping me to maintain this podcast, so thank you so much for your support. Also, just like I did in the first season, I'm going to take some time off in December to practice some self-care, wind down a little bit, recharge. Hopefully it'll give you a chance to listen to some previous episodes if you're behind or anything like that. There are going to be a couple of bonus episodes that will be coming out at some point, but otherwise we're going to resume the regular episodes starting in January. So mark your calendar for January 3rd, 2023, because that's when the next episode will drop. Until next time, please take care, have a good rest of the year, and I will see you in the new year. Visit allyshipisaverb.com for any resources and a full transcript of the episode. And remember, sometimes allyship means to prepare yourself to stand up for others when they are not around.